This is Matthew Hester, Senior Pastor at Dominion Church. I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Dominion Church podcast experience. Our podcast aims to deliver truth from God's Word concerning His kingdom and your righteous identity as His beloved child. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and do share it with a friend. We pray that you are blessed, challenged, and changed by what you're about to hear. Thank you for joining us here at Dominion. We're so glad that you're tuning in on Facebook. Do me a favor, go ahead and like and share this video now so others can be blessed as a result. Maybe you're watching on YouTube uh, at Dominion Church SC, or maybe you're, you're taking us with you. You might be in the gym right now. You might be driving down the road and you're listening to our podcast experience. We're so glad that you're a part of what we're doing here, but do me a favor. This would bless me. Come and be a part of one of our gatherings. We gather on Sunday at 1 o'clock at the historic Taylor Mill. So come. There's places to eat. You can come and have some lunch. And then uh, come and be a part of what we do here. We'd love to, to bless you, to pray for you, to minister to you. That is definitely on our hearts. Uh, so I want to jump into uh, part two of this series that we started last Sunday called uh, Sealed with a Promise. Sealed with a Promise. And we got these verses out of Ephesians 1, uh, and that's what we're going to pick back up on, is out of Ephesians 1. And, uh, and I really, I just got through the first couple of verses uh, because we want to identify the things that Paul is speaking to the church. Now, historically, he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, okay? But there are principles that we can grab from what he's sharing, uh, and I really believe this is a prophetic word for the body of Christ. I had the chance to first minister this message. At this point now, it's been about a month ago uh, at, a, at a tremendous church in Birmingham, and it was just for them. And I heard the Lord say, this is a word for the church. And I said, well, I always think when I hear the word church, I think of dominion because that's, that's where I pastor. And then he said, no, this is a word for the church at large. And so I believe that I'll have more opportunities to share this word uh, over the coming months uh, as the Lord uh, leads. And so we, we covered last Sunday on the inheritance. What is the inheritance? We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That word sealed uh, in the Greek also stands for the signet or the signet ring. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory and so we looked at holy spirit we looked at the inheritance we talked about the kingdom of god we looked at matthew 6 33 romans 14 17 there's a lot there just go back and watch the session and then we touched on the gifts of the spirit listen holy ghost lives on the inside of you and he is well equipped he is full of gifts and he's full of fruits amen and as we mature in our sonship, as we mature as sons and daughters of the king, these things should begin to manifest in our lives. They really should. Now, the gifts part, we, we touched on this. The gifts part, they're for free, right? Those are passed out, and they're celebrated and received, but there's some collateral with that because gifts are free, and sometimes jerks have gifts, Right? So we, you ever been around, don't raise your hand, you ever been around gifted ministry, but you realize once you met them, these people are jerks. I mean, man, they were accurate prophetically. I mean, I got healed in one of their meetings, but I don't want to be around them. What does that mean? 
Well, it means that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. But you'll, you'll also notice, if you get to Galatians 5, there's fruit of the Spirit. And fruit is not free. You have to be intentional about fruit. Just like natural fruit, you have to plant seed, you have to tend to it, you have to water it, and it has to grow. And it takes time. That's why there's no gift of patience. Patience is not a gift. <laughs> patience is fruit. Long-suffering is not a gift. It's fruit. And then the ones we don't want to talk about, kindness. You listen, no one's kind by accident. There's intentionality. I know, right? We've got to wipe some of that sweat off our brow. I get it. And then the one I really don't like is self-control. Could, could it be the next great manifestation of Holy Spirit in the body of Christ is the world watches us live lives of self-control? <laughs> Learning how to control what comes out of our mouths. Learning how to control what goes into our mouths. I know, I get it. I, I long for the day where the church can begin to have a revelation that we should not be identified by what we protest. You know what I'm talking about? It seems like now we're just making up things to be upset about in this day and age. You know, I want to be of the disposition that people know who I am based on who has me. Not on what I disagree with. Okay. So, let's continue. We're going to launch down to part two. That was just a quick recap of last Sunday. And so, we're going to start Ephesians 1, just verse 15. We're going to touch on it. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. So the first thing Paul identifies is there's an inheritance. You're sealed with promise in the Holy Spirit. What does the kingdom look like? You're full of gifts and fruit. And then he says in the following verse, I recognize you because of your faith and love for all the saints. So we're going to start this session with faith and love. Faith and love. So God is looking for a house that is led by faith and love. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Wow. Now you go and you look at Hebrews 11, you look at the previous chapter, this is where we, we find what we call the Hall of Fame, the Faith Hall of Fame. And we see different degrees of faith what we would call foundational faith. And, and if you go, and you can go and read these verses, I can't go through all these today, but you, you begin to track a lot of our great fathers of faith in Scripture. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, Mo and it just goes on and on. And then you tap into corporate faith. It says, by faith, they when they crossed over the Red Sea, by faith, they, when they walked around Jericho, what's the meaning of that? There are some times you simply cannot do something on your own. And I know for a lot of us who are self-established and we have an independent spirit and we bleed the 4th of July, that is our cry. I am independent. And God says, wait, that doesn't work in the kingdom. Doesn't work in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is about healthy interdependence. I need you, you need me. How do I know? Because we both exist at the same time. <laughs> if God only needed you, he should have stopped when he made you. 
but he didn't. So if he kept making people, then maybe he's trying to tell you, you need them. They need you. But then there's a shift in Hebrews 11 where we go from foundational faith into something called finishing faith. And this is faith that takes you across the finish line. This is not faith that finds its being or its, its genesis out of our abilities. It finds its genesis in his. Right? His faith. His faith is finishing faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Let's not skip over that. Say this, now faith. Now faith. A lot of times we use faith to project into our future. But what about now faith? Right now. There is a reason that God does not want us to weep at the altars of remembrance of the past move. I want to acknowledge it, but I will not live in the past move. Why? Because God's not there. There's also a reason he doesn't want us to try to live into the next move. Why? I know this is simple. Because he's not there. Where is he? He's here right now. Now, I've had people debate and argue about kingdom now. I say, well, if it's not now, then when would it ever be? Because the manifestation of the kingdom, I'll only ever know it in the now. The manifestation of the kingdom being what? Righteousness, peace, and joy. And that is not reserved for my tomorrow. It is meant to be enjoyed right now. Amen? Amen. So now faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Man, this is beautiful. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It tells you in a way that we can understand it, take a chance. But it says when you take the chance, understand this. Be fully sure that I got you. So is it really the chance like when we say take a chance? It's not like spinning the roulette wheel. It's not like I hope that when I throw my money down, God's going to provide. No, he says that now faith, there's assurance attached to it of things hoped for. What's the assurance? What's the hope? We're going to get into it a little bit in this session today. What is the hope? Christ in you is the hope. There is nothing more substantial, nothing more sure or secure than the hope that we are stepping out, and we call it faith, stepping out in faith on. Maybe you have pictured your faith journey as Peter walking on the water. But our faith journey is Jesus walking on the water. (laughs) Come on, it's not about my faith. It's about his faith. Isn't it funny? We always attach our faith to the possibility of sinking. And if we do attach it to our own ability, we will. But if you tap into his faith, you're not going to sink. Because it's not your faith, it's his faith. Come on, y'all. And then conviction. I love that. You guys know conviction. The root word of conviction is convince. And so what is Holy Spirit trying to do? Jesus tells us in John, he says, when I go, I'll send a helper. He saw the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, he will convict the world of three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment, and he goes on to define what those things are. But then we see this mentioned in Hebrews 11.1, and it talks about the conviction of things not seen. So Holy Spirit is still trying to say, listen, there is more than you could ever imagine. Just because you see it doesn't mean it's not real. The kingdom of God is not about seeing till you believe. It's about believing, and then you begin to see. 
The conviction, it's amazing. This solid conviction precedes having proof. And that's something. <laughs> it's awesome. Okay, so now faith. We looked at faith, and then Paul says, and your love for all the saints. Your love for all the saints. Now here at Dominion, you guys are probably getting worn out on me preaching about love. I would like to submit first and foremost, love can never become an old message. Never. We can never be like, you know, I'm so over love. It doesn't work that way, okay? Because Paul said, listen, I recognized what you guys are doing because of your love for everyone. Oh, okay. So then you guys know where I'm going to go. We're going to go to 1 John 4. These are verses you guys are probably memorizing by this point. And, and I, I've got them printed here, but I don't even have to read them. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. The apostle of love continues to define what love is. And then he says, beloved, let us love one another. Let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Because God is love. God is love. Love is not something simply that God does. It's who He is. And so, if we can have that revelation, then you have to have this revelation that comes with it. There is no one, hear this, no one that God does not love. Because God is incapable of being something that He's not. Are you okay? Well, I'm not sure God can love them. How? If He can't love them, He's not God. We need to find someone else to worship. Because these verses say He is love. And I think part of why we don't want to flesh this out is because a lot of times in our own Christian journey, we can identify where we have not been loving. And so it's painful because I claim him as father, but I don't look like him because I'm still mean and arrogant and I want my own way and I'm not patient. I'm tapping in the first Corinthians love there. Right? Love is patient. Love is kind. We identify all these places where we're not demonstrating love. And if we're told God is love, I, I, that's, that's challenging me now. I, I mean, <laughs> and you go on. If you read all of 1 John 4, it, it, it's beautiful. But then I love where it gets to verse 18. And then it really deals at a different level. It says there's no fear in love. No fear in love. But perfect love cast out fear. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? God is love. And one of the, the most heartbreaking things right now, that people who claim to be part of the family of God preach, is that God hates people. Because of chosen behaviors. Or they might even argue unchosen. But I don't care if you choose or don't choose. If I position myself to bring fear into your encounter with God, I have not represented him well. And do you see the conflict? I'm trying to use fear to get someone to meet God. But then when God shows up, he casts out that fear. 
Because he is perfect love. And that, that's why we have people that say, like Mahatma Gandhi, I, there's, this, there's this quote that, man, it, it rings in my heart often. And, and he was quoted as saying this, I love the Jesus of the Bible, but I don't like his disciples. They don't look like him. I find myself at times agreeing with him, like, yeah, I, I get it. We're all claiming the same father. It's hard not to love Jesus. I mean, I, I believe, I know I'm kind of old school, but I believe if you offer an authentic encounter with Jesus, no one can resist. Nobody can resist. I'm talking about that the Jesus, the self-sacrificial Jesus that loves without fail. Now, I say that that's the same Jesus the Pharisees encountered. So I'm curious, would I be attracted to him? Because the religious rulers weren't. They were offended by him. They were offended by this kind of love. It was this kind of love that he'd be sitting at the table having a meal with prostitutes and drunks uh, or just Gentiles. They'd say, oh, that Jesus, I, this guy's corrupted. His ministry is tainted. Yeah, you know where to find him. Hmm. Perfect love cast out fear. I can't stay on it because I'll just want to preach it till we're done. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And I think this is really kind of where the rubber meets the road. If I have a shallow demonstration of love, it's due to a shallow revelation of love. I believe that with all my heart. I don't know how much he actually loves me, so I can't be expected to reflect that love. Because it's his love that empowers me to love. Truly love. <clears throat> so is it possible? I, you don't answer this question, and, but I'm thinking out loud. Facebook, YouTube, everybody listen. I'm thinking out loud here. Could it be that we have a lot of people who profess their love for God from a place of trying to convince themselves that they're loved? What if we just focused on the revelation that you are loved by God? And from that place, our love begins to spring forth. You can't have it the other way. Because the other way is you're desperately trying to convince yourself of something that you're not sure is true. Can, can again, can I, can I break it out a little bit more? Have you ever done something and you felt like, God doesn't love me anymore? <laughs> Now, a lot of us might say no, but sometimes that feeling can be, I feel like God's going to punish me because of... So let's take love out of there for a minute. Maybe no one in here has ever thought that God wouldn't love them, but have you ever thought God would punish you? If you ever thought he would punish you, then that's not love because perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Have you ever been afraid of God? If you've been afraid of him, it's because you don't know that he loves you. Are you hearing what I'm saying right now? I'm able to love because he first loved me. Let's continue. Can, can we go one more point here? Okay, so Paul continues in Ephesians 1. He said, for this reason, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. And then we're going to look at verse 17 and 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ 
The Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's a mouthful. So verses 17 and 18, what is Paul leaning in on? He's leaning in on the revelation of hope. God is looking for a body that understands the revelation of hope. So if we can recap real quick what we've covered so far out of Ephesians 1. Last week we covered what is the inheritance. You are sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, the manifestation of the kingdom of God that is fully equipped with gifts and fruits. Okay, we got that. Next, we're a people motivated and led by faith and love. Do you see the picture that's beginning to come into focus? Next, we are a people who have a revelation of hope. And man, I've heard so much discussions on hope these days. But I want to encourage you that hope is a simple message. It's a simple, it doesn't mean it's not profound. So, so don't mistake what I'm saying, but it's simple. And I think part of it is, do you ever get frustrated when it feels like something's too simple? And you're like, no, it, it, it's got to be more complicated than that because we get embarrassed because how did I miss this? <laughs> how did I, if it's just this simple, why haven't I been living this way? So let's look at the revelation of hope. Colossians 1, verses 26 through 28. What I love about Paul is if you go and read his writings, they're very synergistic. So you have to read his letters, because he wrote to several different churches, and they each continue to speak to the same points. And he digs and he builds more revelation on them. So what did Paul primarily carry? Paul primarily carried the gospel of grace and then what's called Paul's gospel, which is union with Christ. Those were the two things that he was just having personal revival over. And actually it was union with Christ where he met some resistance from his own apostolic peers. Remember that. Because when he's on the road to Damascus... Right? And then the angel of the Lord comes and, and, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Yes, it is, it is I that you are persecuting. It's me that you're persecuting. So Saul has this revelation that Jesus lives in his people. And then if you go to Galatians 1, y'all heard me teach on this. You go to Galatians 1, Paul gives his own version of that encounter. He calls it the day it pleased God to reveal his son in me. So Paul had this simultaneous revelation. Jesus lived in the people he was persecuting, and then he discovered Jesus lived in him too. And then he starts preaching union with Christ. And then he goes to the disciples, the apostles, he goes to their council and he says, listen, I learned things that were not taught to me by any man, but were taught to me by revelation of the Holy Spirit. He went to Arabia. We don't know how long he was there. Probably three months, maybe longer. And he had this divine download from the Holy Spirit. Pretty amazing. But the disciples, they were right to be a little concerned. Come on. This dude had jailed and persecuted and, and martyred a lot of followers of the way. So I still want to give them some credit. But he started making such bold decrees that they're like, whoa, is this, I mean, can this be, is this right? <laughs> And Paul just hammers at it. So Colossians 1, 26 through 28. He starts with the mystery. Colossians 1, 26. The mystery hidden 
for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. When was Colossians 1 written? It was not written yesterday. Written 2,000 years, 2,000 plus years ago. And he tells them then that the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. He wasn't talking now 2022. He was talking now then. It's already been revealed. So if it's revealed then, how many of you guys would say it's been revealed today, right? What's the mystery? To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So what's the mystery? You know, I... I can't, I can't sell a million copies of this book because this is the, the front, the title is going to be the mystery. You're going to open it and it's going to say Colossians 1, 26 through 28. You can't sell a million copies. You have to write a 500-page book that get, makes people do backflips in their minds trying to discover the mystery. But Paul said, no, this is the mystery. No greater mystery. This is it. Christ is in you. And he is the hope of glory. So not only is he our hope, he's a manifestation of glory. He is glory. You are glory producers. Uh, but I love the way the Message Bible says this. It's so good. The mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you. So therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That is the substance of our message. We preach Christ. <laughs> We warn people, don't add to the message. In other words, stop with your Christ plus something. Stop it. He is the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. And this is my favorite line in it all. To be mature is to be basic. <laughs> See, a lot of us, we, we bought into this idea to be mature means to be uh, you know, he, he, he's so deep that none of us can even swim to get to where he is. He, he knows the most complicated words, and so he must really know the... No, the mystery is so simple. It's so simple that that reflects the maturity, that we've embraced the simplicity of the gospel. We've embraced the simplicity of the mystery. Christ. To be mature is to be basic. Christ. No more, no less. Now, here's a fair question. This is the question I would ask. How does that basic gospel demand maturity? Can, can I submit to you what I believe that it is? Because Christ transcends the message. What do I mean by that? You will find yourself in positions where you can't only talk about him. But you have to demonstrate him. I'll try over here. You, you can't only talk about him. But you begin to demonstrate that Christ is in you. And I get it. I, I'm with you. Sign me up. I want to see signs, wonders, and miracles. I want to see 
I want to see all that manifestation of glory. I want to see people just flying all over. Okay. But I also want to see what we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe your gospel will be received when you learn how to be kind to others. Maybe your gospel of the in Christ message will be received when people see that you're patient with them. When people see that you love them in their brokenness. I'm not sure there's anything that looks more Christ-like than that. Paul said that you were found at the right time. While you were lost in darkness and sin. That's when Jesus came running for you. And he snatched you out of darkness, brought you into his marvelous light. And see, all of us, we're trying to look for the people that are on the verge of being great. So that we can get them in the door. God's like, I don't look for those on the verge of being great. I look at people on the verge of just completely losing it all. I'm looking for the people about to fall apart at the seams. And I say, ah, I got you. I'm going to pull you into my kingdom. Mm. Now imagine, if you will, a family across the earth that operates just that way. Instead of jockeying for the ones that everybody wants, we have a heart for those that nobody wants. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is what the kingdom looks like. But can I also tell you this? I've discovered a secret. If you have a heart for those that nobody wants, God will give you them and he'll give you the ones that everybody wants. Right? Because if you can truly have a heart for the down and outers, then the gospel that you carry is authentic. And if it's authentic, it'll be attractive to whoever encounters it. Amen? Okay, so we're going to have to end there because if I keep going, it's going to be another good bit. So what we'll do in our final session, which will be on the other side of next Sunday, there's two other parts that we have to look at that Paul picks up on. I'll just read the verses and, and then we'll finish up. So as we continue in those verses in Ephesians 1, we come across verses 19 through 21. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So what is the next thing that we see a manifestation of the power of the resurrected life? That's what we'll be talking about in our third part. And then finally, verses 22 and 23, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Finally, the Lord is looking for a body that flows as a corporate man that flows as a corporate man. Because if you look at that, it's beautiful. Again, I can't get into it all. We'll save it for next time. But he says, I'm anointed as the head and I have rulership over all things. But then look at what he says next. And I gave that authority over to the church. Somewhere we have missed that we share in his authority. Now, where the abuse is easy to step in is we try to define what authority looks like. And the way man has authority, you guys know how it works. It's rule. And how do we rule? We rule over each other. Man, I, I, I got I to stop here. But if you go back to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, God says, let them have dominion. So in the mandate, he doesn't even include himself. He's telling us from the get-go, I want you to rule. 
Okay? As Father, I create, I love, and I hold all things together by the power of my word. But you guys, I'm going to create a rule. And then he tells us what we can rule. You can rule the land. You can rule birds. You can rule fish. You can rule all this stuff. Guess what he left out? You can't rule each other, though. So what's the one thing we've wanted to rule from day one is one another. One another. It starts with Adam and Eve. It carries on to their sons. Cain and Abel is about rulership. One brother wanted to rule the other. And the narrative continues until Jesus appears on the scene. Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, and he says, I will not rule. I'm not going to rule even though that has been given to me. All authority has been. He, guys, I'm getting tongue-tied here. It is said of Jesus, the right to judge was given to him by his father. And then Jesus says in the next breath, I do not come to judge, I come to save. He had to break the control narrative once and for all. He said, I don't come to win, I come to serve. I, I didn't come to win, I came to wash feet. Because the only way the family of God is ever going to get this thing right is when you realize you do not get to rule your brother. The only way this is going to work is you, you, you get the servant's towel, you tuck it in to your, your belt, and you kneel down and you wash the feet, not only of those that you would like to wash their feet, but you've got to wash the feet of those who hate you, those that want to take your life. I know, I know it's risky, I, I know, but this is the only way this is going to work. So we'll get into that in our final session on this series. I want to bless you guys. Lord, I thank you right now for this word. I thank you that it's not just words, but I pray that it's, these words are spirit and that they're life and they go into good ground. Lord, everyone watching, Lord, I just thank you that, that this is transferable, that it can go through technology, that right now hearts can be touched, whether it be on Facebook, YouTube, on the podcast. But then, Lord, the people right here in this building, Lord, that they're hearing these words and it is touching their hearts, it is touching their spirits in a significant and substantial way. Lord, I thank you that while we're living, that we live on purpose. That while we're living, that we're not going to live by the strength of our own hand. But that we can say with all confidence, the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's not I that lives anymore. I, I came to terms with it a long time ago. I died. I was crucified with Him. I, I was buried with Him. Resurrected with Him. And now, like out of Ephesians, I... I ascended with him, and I, right now I'm seated with him in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. So, Lord, I, I hang up my opinions, and I hang up my, my complaints, and I, I just commit to being a willing vessel through which you can live your life in the way that changes the people that I encounter. Lord, I thank you for all these things now. I decree them by faith in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, like and share this so others can be blessed. And come be a part of one of our gatherings if you can make it on a Sunday at 1 o'clock. All right, God bless you. We'll see you next time.